If you've been joining us the past few weeks, well, basically for the month of January, we've been focusing on the command of Jesus found in Matthew 28, verses 18, 18 through 20, where Jesus says to his followers, sometime before he ascends into heaven, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. Go and make disciples of all nations. And by now we should have a really a better understanding of what that command is, that Jesus is calling each of us and together as the church to go into the lost world around us. And he's commanded us to actually share the gospel verbally and to live out the gospel physically in front of people. And he's commanded us to then teach those who actually come to faith in Christ that they might be mature, learning to obey all that he has commanded. That's our mission, to go win, disciple, and basically then send people out. That's the idea. And so as we've been going over this, the Lord's been kind of laying some big picture topics on my heart. Uh, what are the obstacles to that? How, what are the hindrances and, and what are the things that might help us to accomplish the, uh, the mission that the Lord has given us to go and uh, make disciples of all nations? And so the first thing I, I spoke about was, you know, is there any competing love? To put the love of Jesus first in our heart. Remember, we talked about that of Revelation. Also, trusting the Lord. We spent a week talking about trusting the Lord because so much of our focus is on ourselves and our own abilities. Just remember, God's, God's at work. Let's partner with him and trust him. And then the non-negotiable of, uh, of our call to actually verbally share the gospel. God's called all of us to partner in that. And the importance of committing ourselves to not only being discipled, being taught how to obey, but also then teaching others at various stages that we in, are in our spiritual growth. Growth. And we talked about maybe you're just a mom at home with your infant or your baby, and you just have an opportunity to share Christ and witness Christ, maybe bring them to Christ, train them in Christ. You might not have a huge, you know, outlet, but what God has put in front of you, be faithful to do. And so it's important to be pouring into someone and also being poured into. And what the Lord has laid on me on my heart this morning in that same vein of important things to consider is the power to witness, the power to witness. He's calling us to a task that has to be supernaturally accomplished. And I hope we all know this is, you know, he's calling us to a mission to go into all the world, make disciples of all nations. And that is the mission. And yet it becomes mission impossible if God does not empower us to do that. And so please open with me to Acts chapter one. We'll be taking a look at parts of Acts chapter one and, and Acts chapter two on how we are empowered to be a witness. Where does our power come from to become a witness? How do we have that dynamic witness that we all long to have and be if we are a follower of Jesus Christ? So Acts chapter one. Now, how many of you know that uh, Dr. Luke back in ancient times wrote the book of Acts? Uh, right? And actually the gospel of Luke was the first part. And, and the book of Acts is the continuation of that. The gospel of Luke focuses on all that Jesus did and taught what he began to do. And then the gospel, the, the gospel of Acts, the Acts or the Acts of the apostles is all that the apostles did and taught. 
obviously under the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the book of Acts picks up where the gospel of Luke left off. And it starts off in that transition period where Jesus gives the apostles some final instructions before he ascends, leaving them with the promise of the Holy Spirit who would soon come. And so look at the first verse of Acts with me as we kind of just take a little, a few verses out of Acts one here. It says in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what he's saying. When I wrote to you in Luke, that's what I, I shared with you until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them for 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Luke's picking up where he left off. He's writing to this person named Theophilus. The name Theophilus actually means, I think, loved by God. And so it could be a code name for the church, or it could be actually a person, most excellent Theophilus or whoever it might be. Regardless, Luke is telling us that Jesus, after his resurrection, he appeared to his apostles for 40 days. And we know that 500 witnesses saw him as well. So there was a 40 day period after Jesus's resurrection, where he was appearing to his disciples. And we know that during that time, Jesus gave them the great commission, probably in Galilee, right? And he wanted them and us to know what to do until he returns, go make disciples. We've, we've been over that. And we know that Jesus tells them in Luke that they're about to be his witnesses. This is before he ascends. He says, you're going to be my witnesses, but I want you to wait. What? I thought he just said, go, go into all the world. Like that's the command. But he says, now wait before you go. And that's very interesting. Luke 24, 48 says that. And Luke repeats it again here in Acts 1, 4, where he's repeating what he had said in, in the book of Luke. Look at that. Look at verse four in Acts 1. And while staying with them, that's Jesus was with his apostles. He ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for what? the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy spirit. Not many days from now. And so Jesus says to them, before you go witness, wait for the Holy spirit in Jerusalem. Do not connect, start connecting theology yet. Okay. Just hold on. Let me tell the whole story and then we'll come back and explain. All right. And so Jesus says, before you guys go out, I'm sending you out. You know, the mission, it's clear. I want you to wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy spirit. In other words, there is going to be someone essential that you will have to have present in your life in order for you to be the witnesses of me, the Holy spirit. And so verse six, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? There's our guys again after the resurrection. So, so now, now, or do we get to rule and reign with you? They still don't get it. And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Now, this is what you do need to know. Verse eight, but you will receive what? Power. Someone have fun and look that up in the Greek for me for a second. What is that word power? Dunamis. Glad you already looked it up. Somebody know what is dunamis? What is it similar to? You will receive power. Not nine volt power. Dunamis. When? When's that going to happen? 
but you will receive dunamis when the who has come upon you. The Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then what will happen? You will be what? My witnesses, where? In Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Starting at home and working your way out is the idea. Because God said, I want you to make disciples of all nations. You'll be a witness where you are, where you'll be, and where I'll send you and those after you. And they should add at the end, the end of the earth, dot, 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 walla, walla. <laughs> and so for the apostles, they received the command to go make disciples of all nations. But first, Jesus made it clear, before you go, you have to wait. Wait in Jerusalem for the promise of the Holy Spirit. What Jesus is telling and will demonstrate through the Spirit to them is that the witness that they were to have before the lost world was to come about through the power of the Holy Spirit and not in the power of their own flesh. That is where the power to witness comes from. It is from the Spirit of God within the believer. Now, this filling of the Holy Spirit happens in Acts chapter 2. Please look at Acts chapter 2 with me. Flip over to Acts chapter 2. I know, it's amazing. We got out of chapter 1. We're in chapter 2. And we're not going back to chapter 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Verse four. And they were all filled with the Holy spirit. They were filled with the Holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. This is the promise of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was talking about being poured out on believers, on the apostles. And I don't know if it included the others in that upper room that day. This is also referring to, referred to as the birth of the church by many. But this happened on the day of Pentecost. Now, the word Pentecost means 50 because it was 50 days after the Passover. It was a Jewish feast, the Feast of Weeks. And so it was one of the three feasts that Jews were required to come back to Jerusalem to observe. They were just at Passover. They left for 50 days. And what did they do? They came back after 50 days and they're all there again. What did they see at the Passover? Jesus, what happened to Jesus at the Passover? He was tried and crucified very publicly at the end. They all saw it. It was the talk of everything. And then they went away. And now they're all coming back 50 days later. The feast of Pentecost was one of those three major feasts. 50 days earlier, they were all there in Jerusalem, saw his execution. We know that Jesus was resurrected after three days. And so let's just count back. His, his death, resurrection, that's three days. And then he was with them for 40 days. That's 43 days. After his resurrection, he ascended. That leaves one week where he told them, you wait in Jerusalem for one week. And at the end of that, he didn't tell them when. He just said, you wait. And what happened to be on Pentecost, that the Holy Spirit 
fell, the promise of the Holy Spirit came. And so all the Jews were back in Jerusalem and they were here to see all of this as the Holy Spirit fell. And one of the evidences of the filling of the Holy Spirit that day as apostles were there was that they began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance. Some will now, now we know that Paul says that not all speak in tongues. I am one who does not believe that the gifts of the spirit are, have ceased. I, I don't think you can make a case for that. I know there are dear brothers and sisters who believe differently and we can agree to disagree, but obviously we're not having new scripture. That's, that's important. So I understand where that ceased. But the, so there's good people who see it differently. However, right here, it's, it's unequivocal. It's un, whatever that word is. The spirit fell on them. And the evidence of that was that they spoke in tongues. It is not the evidence of, of having the Holy Spirit. It is an evidence. It is a gift. And what was the purpose of the gift that day that the spirit gave to them for a purpose? Now, we know Paul obviously says in 1 Corinthians 12, 30, not everybody speaks in tongues. Okay. And so there was a supernatural enabling of these believers to speak in a language that they did not know. They're not talking gibberish. They're not saying Honda Accord and all this other stuff. They're speaking a language they did not know. And these other people were understanding what they were saying. This is a supernatural thing going on here. Just keep reading verse five. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, obviously men and women, but the focus is on the men who were gathered in that worship, that inner worship place there. Now, really quickly, the great commission is the target to go make disciples of Americans only of Walla Wallens only. What is, what is the great commission? All nations, all nations. Well, what do you know? What does it say there? Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every what nation under heaven. They were all gathered back Jews from scattered abroad. And there were Gentiles there and converts to Judaism. There were other things going on there. What do you know? God was at work. Wasn't he? God had a plan. When he told them to make disciples, God already knew what he wanted them to do and how he would do it. And so he's at work and he's still at work. And notice what happens. Verse six at this sound, as they're hearing these men speaking in tongues, the multitude came together, obviously the rushing wind, everything that drew them. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed at this and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? They have a specific dialect. And we already know they were uneducated. And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, those who became uh, observing Jews, so to speak, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues, what the mighty works of God. 
So the believers were filled with the Holy Spirit. And one of the gifts that God gave them that day was the evidence to then speak the, the glories of God, the mighty works of God in, a, in, in tongues. And everybody is hearing what they're saying in their own language. And they are marveling. They're confounded. And the result of that, verse 12, and they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? And what else were they saying? Verse 13, but others, what? Mocked. And they said, they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. They're all trying to make sense of what is going on. There were people there who came face to face with the witness and the power of the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? God was powerfully witnessing of himself through these believers in such a way that people were having to figure out what is going on. What do I do with that? And the response was either what's going on. There was a, there was a a desire to know more or there was a, a mockery. And that's what happens when people run into Jesus. Really, when they run into believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are evidenced, who the the evidence of the Spirit is in their life, and they're being a powerful witness, which we're going to get into. Then what happens, verse 14. Now, if you've been following along with me, and we read the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where do we leave off with Peter? (laughs) You know, the whole... (laughs) (laughs) tried and failed, right? Jesus restored. And we know that, but now what happens? Verse 14, but Peter standing with the 11 lifted up his voice and addressed them. Who is them? All them men of Judah and all you who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words for these people are not drunk as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And he starts quoting prophecy to them. This is the fulfillment of this. The Holy Spirit brought to his remembrance the word of God and he begins to expand it before him. And I encourage you to read the rest of this. I'd love to just go through this with you. It's so powerful. But he makes the case for Christ and he goes on and he's quoting. But did you catch it? Peter says, it says that Peter lifted up his voice. 50 days earlier, what was he doing? Hiding and cowering and he was sorrowful. And he went away weeping as he denied Jesus in front of who? Y'all, yes. Anybody relate? What's the difference between Peter 50 days ago and Peter here? Let me ask any of you long for that change. You long for that power to witness, to be his witness. Verse 36. Just look at the end of his message. This is what Peter was preaching. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Wow. This is a different Peter. There's a boldness. There's a power there. There's a truth. But listen, verse 37. And now when they heard this, they were what? Cut to the heart. They were convicted. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? This is the work of the Holy spirit to convict, to convict the world of sin of righteousness and the judgment to come. That's what the Holy spirit does when he is truly witnessing. He convicts the world of sin and of the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the judgment that is coming upon this world. And they felt that they felt the weight of their sin. That's what the Holy spirit does. If you are going to be a witness of Christ, there is, this is what he's trying to do. Don't get in his way. This is what we are longing for in response is people cut to the heart. And we so often try to soften the blow or to make it PC or whatever the word is today. What shall we do? They said, verse 32. And Peter said to them, what? I want you to read this website. Go to this website. and What did he tell him? What's the first word out of his mouth? Repent. What was the first word out of John the Baptist's mouth? What's the first word out of Jesus' mouth? What's the first word out of our mouth? He'd already preached the message and was conversing with them. But when they were convicted and you could, and he connected as he knew their hearts were there. What did he say to them? Oh, it's okay. It's not that bad. Repent. He didn't get in God's way. What does repent mean? Turn from your sin and turn to God. It obviously means we can go into more depth on that, but he said to them, repent. And then what? Be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive what or who? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Super important verses there. For the promise is for who? It's for you for your children and for all who are far off. And who are those people? Who is the gift of the Holy spirit for everyone whom the Lord, our God calls to himself. And we know that for God, so the love the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would, would have everlasting life. The call is out. But then there's a sense in which there are those who reject and those who accept. And he knows who they are. And they come to him. And there's a, there's a wonderful dialogue we can have about that later. But the witness was so powerful and so clear through Peter, who was broken. He was broken. Broken over his sin. Broken over his pride. Broken over his failure. Broken over his denial of the Lord. Broken of who he was and who he was supposed to be. He was just 
a broken man, and Jesus restored him on the shore of Galilee and said, I want you to go feed my sheep and tend my sheep. My plan is still with you. Let's get up. But you, before you go and you be that witness, I have something for you because I'm with you, but I will be in you. The Spirit of Christ. I'm going to be in you, Peter, leading you and filling you. And so here is how Peter leads them to Christ after he preaches the gospel and they're responding. He first calls them to repentance. Turn from your sin and turn to God. Be baptized in water. How many of you have been following Christ and have yet to be baptized? Time to be baptized. Be baptized in water. What is that? That's a physical symbol of a spiritual reality. The true baptism of the Holy Spirit happens at conversion. That's what Jesus is talking about. Baptized with the Holy Spirit is conversion. And and baptism is a recognition of that reality that Jesus died and rose again. And so I too am dead to sin and now alive in Christ. Galatians 2.20. And he says that you'll be baptized in water for the forgiveness of your sins. In other words, the, the water does not forgive you of your sins. It's this regeneration of the spirit, faith in Christ that, forgive, that cleanses you of your sins. That's faith. And Peter says, when you repent and when you believe, when God forgives you of your sin, when he makes you new, you are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? We receive the Holy Spirit upon believing in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. When you are born again by the Spirit of God, you have the Spirit of God. He doesn't give you part of him or a quarter of him or a drop of him. He gives you all of him. You have the Spirit of God. All believers have the Spirit of God in them. In verse 40. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. That is to come and and warn them and encourage them like a coach saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Look, look at Peter, the clear declaration to those people of that day, save yourself from this crooked generation. Peter, you are so canceled. (laughs) So judgmental, Peter. Peter wasn't trying to be cool. He wasn't trying to be cruel. He wasn't trying to make it easier on them either. It was a call to come out of the wickedness of that generation. Listen, Christ isn't calling you to For a half Christianity, he is calling people out of what he is going to judge. That's what the church means, the called out ones. And people go, well, aren't you so special? Yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. If you did not come in your spirit, convict me of my sin. Wake me up to the reality of my rebellion against you and who I am. I would have just gone along with the flow. But for God so loved the world. 
And Peter loved God and he's preached the message of repentance. He's calling people out. Don't be afraid to call people out. Out of the sin of this generation. It's a call to repentance out of that kingdom into this kingdom. Peter did that. There wasn't any, any ambiguity. There wasn't any confusion. It was a clear message of repentance and forgiveness through Jesus. And Peter didn't get in the way of the Holy Spirit. How many of us, maybe in our witness, we get to that place where it becomes really awkward. Anybody been there? And you know that you have to call them to repentance. You're like, oh, how do I do this? And you just back away from it. And you walk away with a conviction of like, are you ashamed of me? So to speak, there's that war and you can't tell if it's the Lord or the enemy because the enemy is going, yeah, you, you stink. You just need to never do that again. And the Lord's saying, we've got some work to do. Listen to the voice that's saying, let's, let's, let's continue on. Let's, let's push forward. Let's, <laughs> Peter wasn't, was, was also conversing with them. Notice that it said with many other words. In other words, it wasn't just the message. There was, there was a dialogue going on. Some of them were continuing to mock him. Someone needed some, some of them needed more time. Some of them needed to think through some things. Some, sometimes it took longer than other times. And, and then there, so there's, you know, how, how God works. I have no idea. But you've had that. You've shared the Lord with someone and there just needs to be more and more and more. And you see God beginning to peel away the layers. Anybody else? But you just be faithful. And so what happened? Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about how many? 3,000 souls. That's pretty cool. There were those who received his word. What was his word? The Lord's word to repent and believe the gospel. About 3000, 3000 that are our brothers and sisters, 3000 that we will eternally know that we will be able to get the download <laughs> when we're there. I can't wait. I pray in the Lord gives us those conversations. So people were saved. A lot of them. But that also indicates that phrase that says those who received his word means there were those that didn't to be expected. There's going to be those who reject the Holy Spirit. There are those who reject and mock. There were probably those who Peter and others had, taught, had conversations with over time and they never came or others that did. We don't know how the Lord works in, in the hearts and how people respond always. But nevertheless, there was a powerful witness because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. So why am I saying all this stuff? Do you see the point? What's missing from our witness? Power power, dynamite. And if we just work it up enough, we'll get it. Think that's the answer. We make sure we all in emotional frenzy that equals Holy spirits. If I get the disco ball and the lights and we get 
The Holy Spirit came. Yay! He doesn't need any of that. He used Peter, Captain Foot and Mouth. Amen? Relate. But look at who Peter became and what he wrote. That's a deep brother. Deep, deep brother from the shores of Galilee to being a pillar of, on, in the kingdom. What God can do. But lest we run out and try this all in our own power and become weary and discouraged and defeat like Peter the first time, remember that God gave them and has given us the helper. As a believer, you have the helper, the one who desires to fill us and empower us to be his witnesses. Jesus didn't say you're going to be witnesses of anything else. He said, when you receive the Holy Spirit to the disciples, you will be whose witness? Jesus's witness. And who does Jesus testify of? The Father. The same Holy Spirit that was in Peter on that day is in you and me who believe. That's pretty amazing. We all have drunk of the same spirit. To fulfill the Great Commission, we must be a church yielded to and filled with the Holy Spirit. There is no substitute, and there will not be a witness without it. There will not be fruit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. And Paul turned around and said, yeah, through Christ, I can do what? All things through Christ who strengthens me. Church, the Lord desires that we be filled with the Spirit and go. Not that we don't already have His Spirit, but that His Spirit would have all of us. You already have the fullness of His Spirit, but does the Spirit have all of you? That's the question. And the degree that He doesn't, it seems like that's a parallel with our powerlessness in our witness. I speak from personal experience. I want to stop there because I think I want to do two parts on this because I want to then talk with you about, I was, there's, I'm on, I don't know, I'm halfway on my notes, so I know that's going to put us into double overtime. I don't want you to walk away thinking that you do not have the Holy Spirit because you failed in your witness and you're powerless and all that stuff. I don't want you to be thinking that it's not true. In John three, six, Jesus says that which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You're born again. You have the spirit. We just read what Peter said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not you might or you'll get part of, you will receive. In Romans 8, it talks about that and it also speaks about those who are his, have his spirit. I think it's 8.13 or something, I can't remember exactly, but. But believers in Christ have received the Spirit. And so realize that believe, as believers, you have been given the Holy Spirit. And the question is, again, does he have you? 
someone gave a great analogy long ago, and I know it's flawed, of the sun, the moon, and the earth. And we are like the moon that reflects the glory of the sun to the degree that the world is not in between us and the sun. The more the world gets between us and the Lord, the less we shine his glory. And the more the sun is in full view of our lives, the more we are submitted to abiding in and just the more he is in us and we are in him and his word is in us. We ask according to well, the John 15 relationship. That's where the power comes. Next week, I want to talk about, well, how do we become filled with the Holy Spirit? If we already have him, how do we just let him go? Amen? Because we want to have that. And I just want to go into that. And it's stuff you already know, John 15 type of stuff. But we're not here to teach you new, new truths. <laughs> we're reminding you of the, of the message of Peter. The message of the apostles, which is the message of Jesus. We're relaying his word to his people that we might have his life overflowing us. We might be his witnesses and the joy that we have with him and the love and the overflow of our life with, with him would be a powerful witness as our words and our life are manifested to those people around us. And so let's, this little light of mine, <laughs> I'm going to let it shine. Amen. So I want to pause there. And what I think we'll do is we'll, uh, no, I, what I know we'll do is we're going to have communion. Um, and then uh, we'll go from there. You know what I love? about the Lord. I know you can't guess. I love in John 14 where he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to send you a helper, the Holy Spirit. And he goes and talks about that, John 14. I love in Luke 11, 5 through 13, where Jesus is just taught them about prayer. And I'll just read these verses, 5 through 13, and then we'll get into communion. And he said to them, which of you has a friend who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer him from within the door. Don't bother me. Door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I, I cannot get up and give you anything. But which of one of you will do that? Some people will. But he's, you, know, you know who he's talking to. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because uh, he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, because of his persistence, because of his keep, it keeps on nagging. He will rise up and give him whatever he needs. Please leave me alone. Here's the bread. And I tell you, ask. 
Well, actually, yeah, don't remind me. I tell you that though he will not get up. Yeah, okay, sorry, verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened for you. He goes, I want you to be like that neighbor with God. Constantly coming to him. Because we know he has what we need. Amen. That's the point there. For everyone, verse 10, who asks what happens, receives. And the one who seeks, they find. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. This is what God says. Take him at his word. And just so we understand further, verse 11 What father among you, if a son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If he asks for something nutritious, is he going to give him something that kills him or hurts him? Is the idea. And any father in their sane mind would be like, no way. That's just not even on the table. Can't even think of that. What in the world? We spend our whole lives loving our kids and blessing them and raising them up and working out and, and just, just giving our lives for their, for their benefit. Verse 13, if you then who are evil, (laughs) know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give you the Holy spirit to those who ask him? Ask, seek, knock. He desires to give you himself in fullness. Not that you already have him, but that you would be less and he would be more. May our will be that. More of you, less of me. Fill me. Jesus came and died on a cross to forgive us of our great and holy horrible debt against him, insurmountable. And by his blood, we are forgiven of all of it. Amen. And by his stripes, we are healed. But he didn't stop there. Until I am with you, I'm going to send my, give you my spirit who will be in you. We are not separated ever again. You're now my kid, and I've given you the down payment, the evidence that you're mine, my spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God within you. He is in every single believer. Jesus died to forgive us of our sin, but not only that, so that we would be one with him. And he has given us his spirit. What a treasure, what a gift. So when we commune with God and we remember the cup, which we're about to take together. Remember that he forgave us our sin. Remember that he was broken, but also rejoice. (laughs) Rejoice in the fact that he has given us his spirit, irrevocable, never going away. Amen. Until that day. And so ask and seek and knock that he might fill you to overflowing with himself. And so um, the tables before you have a cup of juice, which represents the blood and the cracker, which represents his body. And 
As you come to the tables, I'll dismiss you in a minute as we normally do, but there's some new folks in here. Come up to the front and take of it. Go back to your seat and pray before the Lord and take it at will. You can take it with other people or by yourself. Just contemplate and then we will sing a song together at the end and we'll be dismissed. Lord, thank you so much for the gift of your son who died and rose again and who sent us the Holy Spirit who now dwells within us. Well up within this fellowship, Lord, well up within each of us, we pray that you would just fill us to overflowing in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can come up to the table now uh, and then go ahead and have communion at, at will.